0: The car you drive every day should be fun,
1: but it has to do the boring stuff too, like commute, be affordable, and haul your groceries.
0: You can have both, and we'll help you find it. I'm Todd. I'm Paul.
1: And this is the Everyday Driver car I saw a funny meme the other day that said, "Sometimes the thoughts wandering around in my head decide to stroll out my mouth." And I thought, "That's me <laughs> on the podcast." That's the whole podcast.
0: That's, That's us. For, that should be our subtitle right there.
1: <laughs> I, uh, yeah, it, it occurred to me, but uh, it also occurred that we want to be funny and informative and entertaining and uh, really uh, also just thanking, thanking you guys to be along with us. Uh, we're really appreciative because uh, it's a phone call. Todd and I are just hanging out and yep. getting yep. it out of our system, which I hope helps you guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we've got a couple of great debates. We're diving right in with some debates here. Michael in Washington, D.C., and we picked him because he's got a bit of an emergency situation. He needs a car mm-hmm. soon because he was just in an accident on Valentine's Day in the U.S., and here we are a couple of days later. So he wrote to us. Yep. He was just in an accident. Yep. Thankfully, no major anything, but the car he had was totaled. And he's well, yeah, going...
0: He's, no people are injured, but the car is done. And that's the problem. Yeah. yeah.
1: I mean, not major injuries, I suppose. He got a, a bit injured, but I'm glad to hear he's he's okay. Nothing, you know, hospital stay, nothing like that. So that's good news. Yeah. And then we've also got Scott in Northern California. And he is looking for cars with character. Special mm-hmm. cars. Cars with personality. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking forward to debating his choices here because he just found us. He started watching us on YouTube and uh, found, uh, found the videos he's looking for, but is wondering about all these cars. And you've hit on some great choices here, Scott. His budget is 55000 uh, right in there. So that's good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, cars with character for Scott. So this is going to be yep. a lot of fun. A lot of fun.
0: Yeah, he's got some great options already. He's owned some cool stuff. I'm looking forward to talking about that as well. And, of course, you've bombarded us with, uh, and thank you, for, for questions off of Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and we are noting a few of those we will get to as well. Uh, on the news front, though, there's a couple things we should discuss. One was sent in by uh, JP that's actually done some writing for us. If you follow the, the writing on our website, JP did a really cool couple of pieces on his experience with Dieselgate. And so he's always looking for stuff to talk to us about and and write to us about. And he wanted to. Uh, and I still st- he still may do this, but but he wanted us to talk about the fact that there's a New York Times study out right now or New York Times article out talking about the study that the uh, fatal accidents on uh, traffic deaths in the U.S. has actually been on the rise, and for the first time, it's it's at its highest it's been since '07. Mm. Okay, so it's like forty thousand deaths or something like that, and you know. This is that's awful, okay, and it's interesting, of course, that in that last ten years, of course, there's been much more regulation trying to get people to be safer. one of the th- and when I say not make drivers safer, I mean make occupants safer, even more mm-hmm. airbags, you know, automatic yeah. braking, all these kind of things that we talk about all the time. So all that stuff helps, and while we've talked about autonomy, the article makes the point that if you think about it ten years ago, oh seven, there wasn't a proliferation of here you are looking at your phone and your car and your app and oh my gosh, I just got a text. That didn't really, wasn't as as ubiquitous as it is now. So they're talking about the fact that they think that that in these last few years is part of the reason for the rise. And then of course they talk about drugs and alcohol. And then they say as if, well, I mean, we all know this is a problem, that really it's because there's not enough crackdown on speed, speeding. That's the only bone I have to pick with this idea. I don't um, know if you, if you thought about this or not,
1: Paul. Yeah, but I, I have. Just, I've been mulling this, reading the article, and the uh, the article I found here. There's uh, a few of them, as a matter of fact, uh, regarding mm-hmm. this this subject, saying half of all traffic fatalities involved unbelted occupants. Unbelted occupants.
0: Wow! wow. And, it's it's 2017, folks. Yeah. It's 2017. Put on a seatbelt.
1: I, I that's what I'm wondering. You've seen racing. you some people have seen racing. On television or somewhere, somehow, and noted that the guys driving the cars at high speed, the people, are wearing belts. They're fully strapped down to the object they're (laughs) driving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. Huh. How does that translate to me? Half are still not wearing seatbelts. I can't get over that. I I still don't understand with the modern cars chiming and beeping and nearly beating you over the head with put on your seatbelt warning messages. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then here, almost a third involve drivers who are drinking alcohol and drugs. And I still mm-hmm. think to myself, we've we've been doing this a long time. Alcohol's been around a <laughs> long time. Cars have been, now been around a long time, yeah. and and it's yeah. still a problem. I, and then your to yeah. your point, the speed thing, because I have read contrarian articles stating that the, these writers will say. I don't think the speed limits in the U.S. are high enough. Everybody's so bored out of their minds, Mm -hmm. they find Mm -hmm. everything else to do. And it lists all the phones, the eating. I saw a guy eating today, and I went, oh, my gosh, please. Driving shouldn't be third or fourth on your list. And I have actually been on airplanes, on Final Approach, landing – and the pilot comes on the intercom to say, "Hey, thanks for flying with us. Just remember, you're about to start the most dangerous part of your journey. Be safe out mm. there, driving, everyone." And he's right. That's yeah, what's so yeah. crazy. He's right. Well,
0: but but here's the thing: is is that is that you know you and I talked about this when we did uh, the Autobahn on our pilgrimage trip. Granted, we were seeking out – it was it was four of us in a bunch of camera gear blazing in a blur in a red uh, Cayenne GTS across uh, across Germany on the Autobahn. <laughs> and we were obviously seeking out high speeds. Of course. But the, the thing about speed that never, ever gets discussed is that I submit that if you go faster, you pay more attention. And nobody ever seems to connect those dots when they do these studies. I agree. They, 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 they instantly think that more speed is more reckless. Now, I'm not saying you can't speed recklessly. Of course, you obviously can. <laughs> mm-hmm. But it is, it's it's as you're saying. Once you get into this kind of rhythm of this is the speed we're going. And, and you and I talk all the time about how capable cars are now. As cars yeah. get more and more capable, your random Camry or your Corolla with a, with a spoiler, for those of you that are listening and drinking, <laughs> there you go. Right. Uh, but 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 that car now at 60 feels far slower than it did 20 years ago at 60. Yeah. Yeah. So everybody isn't aware of how capable their car is, isn't paying attention, is looking at the app on their phone. I don't care if you've got it, you know, connected to your hands-free, whatever. It's still a distraction. And I say that as somebody that gets distracted by it. I, I mean, I'm not reading texts or anything, but just if I need to call somebody or, hello, oh, I want to change that or whatever, that happens. It's just a reality of our lives now. So that is very distracting. Yeah. But you know what? You start driving fast, you don't worry about anything else. Right. So i I think the speed thing, that was kind of what I read in the article. I mean, all the stuff you're talking about. It's the guys really. Why aren't we wearing? Why aren't we wearing seatbelts? Why are we still drinking alcohol? Why are we looking at our phones? Those are the obvious ones that I feel like we know and yet we ignore. But I feel like every one of these studies always includes speed, as if oh, but we all know this is a problem, and I don't think it's the problem at all.
1: Agreed. I it actually. It's pretty close to home for me because I have a cousin who died uh, on the highway and he was not wearing a seatbelt and left behind three Ugh. kids. And that was my Ugh. cousin, David. And he died when he was 38 years old. And unfortunately, we found out he had a cocaine addiction. And so Ugh. he was on drugs and not belted in and was thrown. And it, it's, it's a particular interest to me because it, it hits home for me. And I know there's a lot of you guys listening. That probably have similar stories. Something has happened, a friend, somebody you know, and Mm -hmm. why are we still here? Now, it's easy to uh, make arguments with all kinds of, um, I guess, um, studies you can find on the internet. But I did find one that was very easily accessible here. It was the list of countries by traffic-related death rate published by the World Health Organization available Mm. on Wikipedia. Mm. And to your point, I went searching. Now, there's a lot more people in the United States than there are in Germany. But when we go really fast in Germany, 40% of that country is de-restricted Autobahn. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so under the listing here, road fatalities per 100,000 motor vehicles, Germany is half of the United States. Wow. And then when you move over a couple columns, total fatalities in a given year, Germany is – one-tenth of that of the United States. Now, I know there's man, more people, man. so things are, you know, you have to well, take that Well, but if you're doing
0: account. a one one by 100,000 metric, though, theoretically, it's a comparable metric. The- I, I see what you're saying.
1: This was all of a yeah. study from 2013. The United States is way mm-hmm, up mm-hmm. there. And mm-hmm. Germany's got the highest speed limits that I can think of. There's 40% is no speed limit. And we've experienced yeah, that yeah. multiple times. And, yes, we really start paying attention – I want the music off. I don't want to drink anything. I'm fully belted sure. in, and I'm sure. concentrating. <laughs> I'm looking yeah. way down the road, and I've, yeah. I I know I've checked my car. I know the tires are in good shape. I've got you know great brakes. Whatever it is, I'm driving, and if I don't, my speeds are backed way down.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And
1: I'm just I'm looking at this. I'm sure there's plenty of studies, but again, I, I just think I don't think it's the speed issue. I really don't. We're also bored Mm -hmm. in the United States with slow down, slow speed limits that we're finding other things to do and driving drops to fourth on the priority list when we're behind the wheel. And that's a problem. Well,
0: I agree. And then there is that other factor that I think is is compounded by the fact that we can eat or read or look at our phone in the car. You have all the people – and this is what autonomous driving is for. You have all the people that don't really want to drive in the first place, but they have to to get somewhere. I think that person is far more dangerous behind the wheel than somebody that likes to drive that happens to be speeding. Mm-hmm. If you want to, if you want to have yeah. me pick road hazards, give me the speeding guy, because <laughs> right. the person that doesn't want to drive and really can't wait to get out of their car but they have to drive somewhere, I, I don't want to be on the road with that person. Yeah. But if somebody wants to go by me faster than I'm going, I at least think they're trying to pay attention. You know, yeah. I don't know that obviously we are a car enthusiast. Let's all gr- drive a hard show. So that's not surprising where we come down on this issue. But I agree with you on the seatbelts and that kind of stuff. It's like, guys, come on. I have a guy that I have worked with in Salt Lake. He is the father of three mm-hmm. and I have ridden with him in his car and I have a rule with him now. If we go anywhere, I'm like, I will ride with you if you put on your seatbelt because I can't. I can't even stomach. He doesn't put on a seatbelt. He drives everywhere, and he drives to the point that he ignores the bonging. That, of course, his car does. Oh my gosh! He's gotten to where he tunes it out. <laughs> I, I honestly, the, the the scariest, oh, no. the scariest ride right seat ride right along driving I ever do is with this guy because I am terrified for him the entire time.
1: Yeah, I just anyway. I can't get over that. And uh, agreed, agreed. Yeah, we're. Todd and I like fast driving. Of course, we we love it, and uh, it it's quite a rush. Uh, but yeah, we're we everything we do is is with you know safety priority, you know being smart about it and sight lines and doing it in a controlled and closed environment if possible, and all those mm-hmm. kinds of things. You know, we're we're big advo- advocates of that, despite our desire to get out and drive fast and fun and hard. So. Yeah, I'm just. I'm still amazed by these statistics. Here we are. Yeah, As you it's said 2017. What? Why are we still at these kinds of statistics? <laughs> why on earth? Why are I mean, we why? talking
0: seatbelts, which were introduced <laughs> in the mid '60s? Yeah. Why are we still having a conversation about where your seatbelt? Shocking. <laughs> really is. Really is. Something else that we came across that speaks to. Totally switching subjects now, but something else we came across that uh, actually. I, I was reading about it because a few of you have asked, and it's, it's a sub-designation on my favorite subject. Here we go. Say it with me. Tires. <laughs> uh, some of you have asked about all-season tires and can't I get by with it and this kind of thing. And, you know, look, many people do. I get it. You don't want to have two t- sets of tires. I, I understand all the reasons. I do get it. I am a die diehard for full winter tires. However, there is a new segment of tires that is popping up. And I say this has been in, like, the last year or two. Yeah. But I was reading about the two two leaders of this area. And, and look, I'm splitting hairs. But instead of all season, they're listed as all weather.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. Two
0: companies. Toyo makes something called the Celsius. Nokian, one of the companies we really like for winter tires, makes something called the WRG3. And both cases, they are listed as all weather tires, not all season tires. So they are actually designed to be capable in the snow but be driven for, you know, their their warranty is like fifty or 60,000 miles. You can drive them year-round, and they're capable in the snow at a higher degree than an all-season. Mm-hmm. Now, all of those same tests say, compared to a straight-up winter tire, in the snow, winter tire is better. But everything but I am on snow right now this all-weather is far better than an all-season and almost as good as the winter tire. I think that's interesting, that a new category is being built to solve this issue.
1: Yeah, agreed. And I'm reading about this as well on Consumer Reports, who published the article about these two tires. And this brand, as you said, fairly new, kind of a new segment. I know there's lots of people that get by on all-season tires and do it, mm-hmm. and it's fine. I've never found the performance to be you know, one way or the other, because... In any condition, so it's it's a compromise kind of a tire. I, I like the yeah. you know the the better concept of this, but you know their their rating is that okay. You know, right tool for the job. You don't see sushi chefs using you know butcher knives to prepare your meal, <laughs> nor do you. You know what I mean? <laughs> Mechanics aren't using. I brought you know I brought the axe set. from the
0: shed, but I can make sushi. Yeah, I get it. Uh-huh. <laughs> you
1: know. Using my Mr. Chemistry set to try to figure this out, but I know that's not possible. So right tool for the job is always what I've thought. But of course, yes, it, it adds to the cost and complexity and hassle of owning multiple sets of tires, all that stuff. So sure, sure, that's yeah. that's definitely number one. But I, I like the tread life. And I, I think for a lot of people, this could work better because of the tread life and the fact that it's on passenger cars, and therefore it's mm-hmm. not going to be on the fun cars that most of you are writing in about. And, hey, I'm, you know, we like the fun canyon carving, the fun driving. No, we wouldn't recommend this. But you know for your family car and the, the wagon, and yeah, absolutely. Why, why not? You're not doing performance driving there, right? If you're in one of those
0: places of the country, I, I hear you. If you're one of those places of the country where you have snow every now and then, Mostly it just gets cold, but you have snow every now and then. I can see that being the market for these tires. Here where you and I are in Utah, where we're going to get bombarded by snow, I don't think it makes a whole lot of sense. I still want to keep my two sets of tires. But if I were somewhere where, yeah, you know what, we'll get a couple storms, we'll have you know snow for a week all, all season, all right. I'm starting to see the market for a tire like this.
1: I can see this in the Pacific Northwest, and a few of you have written in Mm -hmm. of the places you live in the country where you'll say it snows maybe two to three weeks out of the year, sometimes, some years, other years, it doesn't really, and yeah, yeah, I don't want to just get a dedicated snow tire, but for those two weeks when it's icy out, yeah, you know, what do I do? You're having a bad time,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: (laughs) This could really fit that, and I, I like how they're kind of reclassifying it, but they are a bit different. They're They're... Yeah, I, I like the uh, the approach from these tires. So um.
0: it's it's doing for tires what BMW is doing for car genres. It's finding an extra niche. Here's these tires. So somewhere between all seasons and full winters, we now have all weather, because mm-hmm. you know. We needed another niche of tire, and there it is. Uh, so anyway, so there's us rattling about tires for 10 minutes because we can do that. You know what we should <laughs> talk about, though, because many people are asking, hey, Paul, <laughs> what's up with the M2?
1: Well, I called my friend Marlon at petersonbmw.com, and working with him, he's been very kind, and uh, he apologized. They have not been paying too much attention to me as a customer. On the other hand, I have had a Cayman GTS all last year to enjoy, so I haven't <laughs> that has really, the blow
0: significantly,
1: yes. really pushed the issue, but I thought, all right, well, here we are coming up on a year from when I put the deposit down, and I'm curious, where are we, where are we going with this? Mm-hmm. And I'm I've, I've, thinking, you and I have discussed this, you know, I... I think, do I need this? No. <laughs> no, I, no, I, I <laughs> there don't There is no
0: way that need I, is a word in that sentence. I'm, I I'm almost yeah,
1: embarrassed, on. to be honest. And I'm thinking, I've never been in this position before. This is amazing. But, you know, should I go through with it? Do I not? I've got the Cayman. Do, you know, what do I do? And, you know, you and I talked about my dad as a great example. He was into airplanes and boats. And yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. more about. You know, we can make the argument, you know, we're not financial planners. And, of course, don't be stupid, <laughs> well, you know, if, if it's not feasible, it's not feasible. But if it is, I, I'm just thinking, why not? It's a different car. I actually am kind of excited about the thought. And if I can pull this off, I, I'm really sort of excited about it. So called Marlin. Well, uh, what you and I have
0: talked about is the fact that everybody has a hole down which they pour their money. Well, yes. I mean, everyone listening, you have your thing that if you stepped back and actually got a financial planner, they'd go, what's going on in this black hole of your budget right here? Why are you flushing money down the toilet right Right. there? Everybody has that. For you and I and many of you listening, it's cars. So, okay, all right. We're giving into the disease somewhat, and yeah, financial planners are ducking their heads, but we're sorry. This is who we are.
1: Well, there is the argument about putting your money into travel and more about the experience, which I love. I have discovered Mm -hmm. travel, and I love it, but I could argue with you that owning different cars are different experiences in their own right, and I do love the different experience. I love just going out and driving. Todd and I both do, and that in itself is an experience and a joy that we love, and so – even though it's a thing, yes I'm trying to justify it up one side and down the other
0: um, <laughs> so anyway doing a masterful <laughs> job well done sir well done <laughs> I will support you
1: well thank you uh, so I, I got some information uh, he said yes you know it's time let's uh, let's see what we can do you're a customer and it's been almost a year interestingly. BMW M2s are still hard to come by, he said, even though our friends at EnthusiastAuto.com seem to have quite a few for sale, but they're all at least ten grand over sticker.
0: That's the key thing, yeah.
1: Right there. And that was why I was not yeah. willing to go the yeah. GT350 route last year because the dealer markup. And here these cars. They have some new, some slightly used. And I'm thinking, no, no. And yeah. some of them are 2016. So at this point, I'll, I'll be getting a 2017 car. I think
0: Sure, sure, yeah.
1: Yeah. For ten or more thousand dollars? No, it's it's still not worth it at that point. But that's the whole reason I've been patient and and you know, let's see if we can get one at sticker. That'd be lovely. And mm-hmm, uh mm-hmm. so I also just said, what do you know about the CS? BMWblog.com is oh. you know, trumpeting the fact that there is some sort of hot BMW M2 CS coming. It's testing right now. It might be the engine out of the M4 detuned and, you know, all the possibilities that 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 could bring. But uh, I said, you know, let me know. I I don't know that I'm interested, to be honest, because owning a car like that, A, I don't know if I can afford it. But B, Mm -hmm. it's Mm going to be a very hardcore-focused car. And I think the M2, like the Cayman GTS, is such a better balance between it's a real hardcore sports car, but it's still comfortable. That's what's yeah, so intriguing to me about it. So I said, just find out from your zone rep what, you know what's going on and uh, ask around about the CS. I'm just curious more than anything. I just kind of want to know mm-hmm. if, if they know anything. And uh, so he's going to let me know. But in the meantime, uh, yes, uh, I am definitely on their radar and I'm hoping to get something underway soon because that means springtime is around the corner. And uh, <laughs> if, uh, if it could be here for springtime, then Todd and I are going to road trip up there to Boise, Idaho and uh, check out the dealership and uh, make a film out of it. So it could be fun. It'd be fun, so we'll
0: see. Hey, I'm excited about it for the film, but I but I would warn the entire audience and my dear friend Paul right now that I will be shaking my head most of the times I'm on camera, <laughs> I know. just shaking my head that it's happening. <laughs> just, <laughs> but but hey, it would still make an awfully good film. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. Well, I'm glad for the update, and uh, and it has been a while. I mean, you you honestly, I have to kind of defend you a little bit. You honestly allowed the whole conversation to drop late last summer because you had the GTS, and you just thought at this point. I don't want this thing delivered in the middle of the winter. So you just kind of went silent right? Right. so that they didn't try to, 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 to raise up about it. So you just thought, you know what? Financially, I'll just hold for a bit. I'll let the winter pass. And that's what's got you thinking now. You're going, all right, we're halfway through the winter. Now let's figure it out. So yep. let's hope it comes. Let's hope it happens. I'll, I'll uh, live vicariously. And, and so will the audience. So <laughs> I'm still amazed. We should do. Believe me. But yeah,
1: we'll see. We'll see.
0: So. We should do some car debates uh, first for our friend Michael. I love that Michael just wrote in and uh, and is kind of in an emergency. Of my car is totaled, what do I do? Uh, so I love that you threw this in here. Uh, he had a had <laughs> is the key word. Sadly, a 2014 Mazda 3 that he loved, mm, and he yeah. just had a an expedition with an expedition. It wound up in his lane. They met. The cars totaled. He is sore. He's that post accident day after sore where he's going. Why does why does that elbow hurt? And why? how did I hurt my wrist? Yeah. Nothing's broken. Nothing's serious. But invariably, when you get in the smallest accident, I swear, you wake up the next day and you go, what did that part of my body hit? You just wonder. <laughs> right. You know, It's the weirdest thing. Right. You walk away like, I'm not hurt. I'm fine. You wake up the next morning, ow. ow. What yeah. happened there? <laughs> so he's dealing with that. So, so we hope you feel uh, a lot better soon, Michael. But since his car is a loss... He's going, all right, I need a car. I want it to be something else I like. And he keeps the whole email bemoaning the fact that he genuinely loved this Mazda 3. So I have to speak to something you said here is, is you called me out and you just said you love this Mazda 3, but you really are trying to embrace what I say about having different experiences. I'm, I'm going to say this to you. I'm going to make a, an exception to my own rule, Michael, and that is this. If you lose a car unexpectedly, I think that may be your only free pass to get that car again.
1: Okay. If, if you're Fair driving enough. it
0: and you just go you just you're driving it and you just go, should I get something else? I'm thinking about getting something else. Hey, maybe in a while I will. You're you're kind of mentally preparing yourself for that transition. Okay? It's like a sudden loss of a loved one. If you suddenly don't have this car you loved this morning and this afternoon, it's gone. I I want you to have other experiences, but that is a place where I would absolutely say, look, if you love that car and you didn't feel like you were done with it yet, Okay, get another one. And I only say that because I'm gonna give you other options, Michael, but if you decided you wanted another Mazda 3, hey, I totally get that. You had one taken from you to some degree, so get another one.
1: Yeah. But there's interesting stuff here. I, I like that. I like that you're 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 giving Michael permission because as you said, if you're not done with it, if you're still enjoying it and you still really loved it. I can see that because when we're talking about moving on from a car, you're giving yourself permission to say, you know what? I've loved it and I'm moving on and it's sold. And there is something to that psychologically as well that kind of, mm-hmm, all right, mm-hmm. that's behind me on to something new and fresh and great, you know, whatever that might be. But here he is just in the middle of, this is my car, dig it, you know? And uh, Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I can see that. Uh, interesting. His budget here is about 12000 Limiting me to at fifteen thousand at the very top end. All right, <laughs> yep, all right. Yep. Uh, yep. Paul limiter in play. Here we go. <laughs> and he's not looking for something brand new unless he could find a zero percent, you know, free money kind of financing for sure, a later for sure. model that's, car. Also, that fair. is the
0: moment I'll be a financial planner. Anybody that is giving you zero percent financing, that's worth considering. Hey, yeah, I hear I hear exactly, that. Exactly. Sure. Free
1: money. And then the best part here is that he was leaning, thinking about getting back to a manual, which he has not driven in nearly 20 years. But his wife mentioned she'd like him to teach her how to drive stick. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. this changes the equation. It might not just be a replacement. It might not just be, let's just go ahead and get it and get back into what I had. Your wife, the cars, manual transmissions could actually bring you closer together? What <laughs> fantastic news. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> this yeah, is yeah. incredible. So he loved the Mazda. He was in it for a couple of years. It was 2014, as Todd has mentioned, and he's really liking what Mazda is doing. Heck, so are we. You know, I'm I'm really liking the mm-hmm. styling direction. I'm loving the concept direction, you know, where Mazda's Agreed. going. Agreed. I yeah. like the future for this company. I, I, they've they've really grown for me as well, and uh, and I'm digging them. I mean, Kia's still first for me. (laughs) I I really dig the promise of Kia. I really, seriously, you think I'm putting you on? If you think it's a joke, you're wrong. I really am all about Kia, but I love the Mazda, what they're doing too, especially in the styling category. They're just they're being really sculptural and creative. And uh, Julian is the design director over at Mazda, so I know Julian. He's uh, he's a friend as well, and he's doing an amazing job. Anyway, moving on, he's looking for something sporty, practical too. Of course, everything the Mazda 3 is. Yeah, and also, exactly. That's
0: the thing that's, that's apparent <laughs> here is he keeps coming yeah. back around to everything I like, I liked in the Mazda. So I'm kind of going, okay, the Mazda 3 is still on the table here, man. It really is. So
1: keep going. That's that's good. I, I do like that you kind of gave him that uh, gave him that lifeline there. Insurance costs definitely are a consideration, and uh, as we said, Michael is in the Washington, D.C. area and has got a commute of about 15 miles one way, so 30 miles a day, in traffic. Obviously, D.C. traffic can be pretty bad. Yeah, it's total uh, stop-and-go kind of thing, yeah. You know, gas mileage is a thing, too. So should he get back into the Mazda? He's got a list of cars he's had. A Corolla is on the list. Michael, we're sorry.
0: The Camry's on the list too. The Camry's he on had the a list Corolla too. And then he stepped oh. up to the Camry. I just and then skipped. he <laughs> finds himself in the Mazda three and falls in love. What? Is, what? Is, what is the lesson? There's a moral to that story. Wait, know. it's going to come to me anyway. Know. Yeah.
1: Uh-huh. All right, so we're throttled to fifteen grand. You said twelve, mm-hmm. but I'm going to push it to fifteen because it's me. And uh apologies 15
0: for Paul Limiter.
1: You're okay there. You're
0: okay. There. Okay. Yeah. All right.
1: All right. Well, apologies again to Devin the Awesome on Instagram because I'm going to say it, scoop up your Fiesta STs now, everybody. They are $15,000 <laughs> and pretty new ones. 2015, 2016 yep. cars. Yep. They're 14, 15 grand for super low miles. Apologies, Devin, but get your Fiesta STs now. Right this way, everybody. Yep. I'm opening yeah. my trench coat. I have Fiesta STs to sell you. Anyway. That's funny. Uh, what else? Uh, 2009 BMW 135 Coupe. And mm. I also found a That's 2010 a BMW 135i Coupe. It's silver with 38,000 miles for 14599
0: Hmm. That's mm. tempting.
1: That's all I like different. That. Now, Michael, yeah, I'm going to yeah, leave yeah. it up to you as to whether you go for back to automatic kind of where you were, or if Mm -hmm. your wife can twist your arm and you want to really teach her to drive and and improve her skills and all that kind of stuff, so Mm -hmm. I'm going to leave Mm -hmm. that to you. You can have the Fiesta ST, of course, only manual, but the BMW could be had. And then I have this super crazy wild card for you. It's crazy. Okay, good. Good, good, good. All right. How about a Mazda RX-8? You love Mazda Hmm. already,
0: Okay. And did okay. you know
1: that the later models, late in the production run, they ended at 2012, I believe, found you a 2011 and a 2010. The 2010 has 29,000 miles. It's a manual for $10,399. These
0: cars are so cheap now. Can it's, you it's believe because this? Of the, it's because of the rotary dice roll. That's yes. why they're so cheap.
1: That's why it's such a super crazy wild card, because you could go 100,000 miles with not a any any incidents at all. Or you could be, uh, not that it's not that, it's that much of a dice roll. I, I would like to think they're, you know, it's not 50 50, but I, I see plenty of them with higher mileage for sale. So I think, well, okay, but you know, you're going to get here's, some mileage out yeah, of it. Right?
0: Here's the thing about those RX 8 that you hear consistently from fans of the car, from people we know that are owners it takes an active owner. That's the key thing. And most people don't want to be an active owner in the maintenance of their car. What I mean to say that is... You have to think about you don't want to do tiny, short trips. Those rotaries don't like that. So you have to kind of think about it's not the turn it on, turn it off, turn it on, turn it off kind of engine. It it doesn't respond well to that. It needs to be revved out to keep it healthy, and they they just eat oil. They just do. So you just need to be keeping oil and constantly checking oil. So if you're willing to be an active owner and kind of think about how you drive the car for its better health, then an RX-8 is a real consideration. That's not most people.
1: It's not. But there's it's obviously
0: not. tons of information online. And, and we joked about it in the last uh, RX 8 piece we did a few years back. It was with the S2000 and the FRS. We joked about it, but it's true. You could line up a bunch of RX 8 owners, and any pair of guys, one of them has replaced his engine more than once. And the guy next to him <laughs> is like, What's wrong with you? My engine's fine. <laughs> right. It's and the it got weirdest thing. Yeah. 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 So, so another one. I like that as a wild card, though. That's good.
1: 2011 RX 8 Sport Automatic with 14,000 miles for 15 grand. Can you believe if you shop smart and cool you're interested yeah. you could yeah. you could get something very unique and very Mazda but it's mm-hmm. it's something just totally different for you even more of an enthusiast car and again I'm leaving the manual versus automatic choice up to you so you guys yeah decide you and your wife
0: I think yeah I think the big the big question mark for me on the manual because of course I'm going to say get the manual except you have that bumper to bumper commute and what we want you to be yeah. in, Michael, is a car that you love, a car that you just enjoy being nine, in 90% of the time. You I mean, like my car, my crazy you know, orange loud FRS. Are there times I don't like it? Sure there are. But nine times out of 10, I'm in love with it. So we want you to be in a car that you really, really like in most situations. If most of what you're going to do is commute, that's a place where you personally, now look, I'd commute in a manual. But you have to debate, would I do that? And would that make me not like the car? I can't answer that for you, neither can Paul, and that's what we're saying. But, uh, okay, I like that the manual's on the table, and I like that your wife wants to learn. I think all that's cool. You brought up, Michael, you brought up hot hatches, and you brought up uh, my car, the GT86, in some form. Uh, I have to back Paul's comment about the Fiesta ST. If you're wanting something (laughs) that has some usability and is a Hoonmobile— but that car is going to feel, honestly, the Fiesta T is going to feel very low rent compared to your nice Mazda three. It is. It is. It's much more fun, <laughs> but it's going to feel low rent. So Run, you have to have that thought. Don't walk. Scoop them up, everyone. There's boatloads for sale. <laughs>
1: Telling frightening,
0: <laughs> frightening. And, but but here's the thing: the car that I have hasn't held its value either. You could get an FRS or an, or a, a BRZ for your budget. You could you could find one for that. It's probably going to be yeah. an FRS, a little bit higher mileage. But you certainly could get one. And I'm going to say to you, that's a car that if you're going to have this manual versus auto debate, that's a car that isn't embarrassing in auto. It's got a decent automatic yeah. for a traditional torque yeah. converter six-speed auto. It's actually pretty good. It's no dual clutch, but it's pretty great. So that's a car that I think if, you wanted, if you're if you interested, that's a car that I would say drive in both forms because you could, go, you could go either way. I think that's a real consideration. I have two others.
1: Okay. All
0: right. I had a list of four cars. Fiesta ST, GT86 are both ones that he brought up. Okay, great but I have two others that for me are usual suspects but I have to bring them up as almost wild cards one is Saab 92 x the problem at 15 grand really? is most of the most huh. of the wrxs you're going to find at 15 grand or below are going to be the high mile beat on ones in lots of cases now honestly the Saab 92 x is a 10 year old car at this point but they remain under the under the price point of the, the equivalent wrx it's the weirdest thing nobody knows what they are i still say as a former owner they're the better ones. And you can get that in auto or uh, stick. I would actually highly recommend the manual in that car because I think the, the auto really, really mutes its personality. But I think you could look at that car. I mean, you're talking about wanting a, a usable hatch. That's a real genuine hot hatch. It still looks pretty classy. Uh, you know, it, It's a 10-year-older car than your Mazda, so you're going to feel that in the interior. But that's one wild card. And then the other wild card, I thought, wait, wait, hang on. You okay. want to have something interesting. And this is a full wild card. I, I admit it. We don't have something interesting. You'd like a little bit of usability. It sounds like a car you and your wife might enjoy together. I went, wait, C5 Corvette. Huh. OK. Somewhat usable hatch. Huh. You can get them all day long for this price. I even found some old Z06s for this price. So, wow. Yeah. You're going, to be, you're going to be a 10-year-old Corvette, but it's a Corvette. You went from a Mazda 3 to a Corvette? OK.
1: You <laughs> know, if you want a new experience.
0: Like, what on earth? <laughs> you want a new experience. If it's a car you and your wife might drive. I mean, look, and, and I say this because we love the Mazda 3. But I don't think you and your wife are ever going to have a conversation where it's like, honey, let's go for a drive in the Mazda 3. I don't think that's going to happen. As much as I love that car, as much as you love that car, Michael, but honey, let's go for a drive in the Corvette. That's pretty cool. Yeah. That's a little bit of an event thing. So that's why it's my wild card. And I and I know it's wild, but that's my my last car on the list.
1: <laughs> that's pretty funny. I like that. I mean, it is kind of a car you you'd turn around and look back at after you park it and you mm-hmm. you know, plan events to go drive specifically just to go drive it, which is great. Which is great. I dig it. I dig it. All right, well Scott in Northern California, we're going to transition on to his debate here. He writes in, and like I said, he just started watching us on YouTube. Scott, thank you so much. We do produce videos. Uh, Todd and I are always (laughs) kind of surprised when people write in and say, you guys produce films? Like, actually, yes, we do. Anyway, so (laughs) thank you. Uh, He's doing some international travels and been soaking up the podcast. So uh, uh, hopefully this one fits the bill, too, for you. He is, mm-hmm. uh, like I said, Northern Cal and looking for the newest toy car. And again, something with personality or character, something that's really special to him. However, he flips cars yearly. Mm-hmm. So his biggest concern is resale value. He doesn't mention anything about transmission preference in here. He's really talking about more about depreciation and not wanting the car that he gets next to depreciate more than 10% in a year. Also, he only puts two thousand miles on it in a in a year and is thinking for whatever he gets next he's thinking about owning it for about a year and a half somewhere in there that might lengthen if you get the right car and you love it but I yeah all yeah. right all right sounds like you do quite a bit of travel and uh, just don't have the time I can definitely relate but uh interesting uh, choice here I um <laughs> I I started down one direction and then I saw. That you had an 08-135i with about 410 wheel horsepower. Mm -hmm. Holy moly. Yes, fast. Didn't handle as well as you would have liked. And I was going down the 1M road just as far as character, personality, something that is going to not depreciate as much or as fast as you think it will um something like that you've also mentioned tuning in here something tunable up to 400 horsepower and if you didn't hear Todd and I's podcast with Matt Farah a few podcasts ago Matt had a great term and that is tuning out of class and how many cars mm-hmm. that he's driven that we've seen as well that you buy a car and tune it far past the power and now you've sunk money into it that you're never going to get back out of it and yeah. so it's yeah, therefore you could have bought
0: a Could've you could have bought, bought a higher <laughs> something classification better. of vehicle with the same amount of money that you spent. That is a real, real issue for sure. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and uh, all right. So he's looking. Scott's looking at GTRs from the early, the first gen. There, I say first mm-hmm. gen, 2009, 2010 of the new R35 yeah. gen, but that yeah. first, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, the sort of raw, or more unrefined version of that car, 911 mm-hmm. 997.2, the second generation of the 997. Or the 2014, 2015, so the current Cayman S, which I love. Well, not current anymore, I guess, now with the 718. But I do love that Cayman S. I think that's a great choice. That would be at the top of my list for you. Hmm. Uh, What else? The Grand Sport. Talking vets, he's looking at the C7 Grand Sport, brand new. The current
0: new one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Beautiful car,
1: yeah. That could be interesting. M2 is on the list. And then also the G2 350 Mustang. Scott mentions on here he's a little bit turned off by the interior quality or lack thereof. And I could see that, uh, you know, Everybody who yeah. owns and buys and drives it is definitely not in it for the interior, so we're aware of that. But uh, <laughs> um, yeah, you, then, you'd
0: get past it. You would. You would you, probably you'd, get past it. You'd but, get over but, it. But take you nine minutes in that car, and then you'd but, be over. Yeah, it. exactly. <laughs> take whatever your commute time is till you get to a good road. That's when you notice the interior. Then suddenly, I have no idea what it. I don't even know what color the interior is anymore. I have no right. idea. No idea. Right. I yeah. Don't even look I, at it. I, I, I hear it. I do hear it. Yeah.
1: All right, so as I said, the 2014-2015 came S, which I love. I don't know that you're going to really want to put a whole lot of power to it. You could certainly do an ECU, something very easy right away, but again, mm-hmm. I am hesitant to say get something middle of the range and then dump a bunch of money into it that you're never going to
0: sure come, sure you know, you're yeah. never going
1: to um, get back out of it. I like the sport, the grand sport that you mentioned. I wanted to mention, though, and I think Todd's going to disagree with me here, the okay. 2015 BMW M4 Coupe. I found you one with 10,000 miles on it for $56,794. So you could probably talk mm. him down right about to 55, right where your budget is at. Yeah. And it's a car that's every bit as big as the GT350. And I think, all right, well, that car really—I liked it in our icon film a lot. I really did yeah, enjoy. Yeah, I, know, it. You did. I and know you did. Yeah, it's—it's it's not a car that wants to kill you. It's a technological marvel that wants to maim you, or just still keep you alive <laughs> and toy with you and enjoy it.
0: Death, death by data. Yeah, I hear you. Okay, yeah, uh-huh.
1: there we go. <laughs> So it's about 3,500 pounds, and I just – I got a kick out of that car. I really did. I think owning it would would be just – it would be really enjoyable. But if you're looking just straight personality and that's all that matters, just get yourself a Hellcat. I mean if, if personality is really what you're looking for,
0: <laughs> yeah, it's Hellcat I see all day that. long.
1: All I see day there. long. So –
0: I see how you got there. I mean if he's my only issue with the Hellcat which actually crossed my mind as well, is that if he's worried about some of these cars not having good enough handling, then the Hellcat's not going to fit the bill. No. But no on no, the no. but on the you know the M four, I mean he's saying he's got a lot of requirements here. I mean he wants it to weigh less than thirty nine hundred pounds. He needs it to have at least four hundred horsepower. He doesn't want anything front wheel drive or front wheel drive biased. I mean this is these are the real categories to start paring things down. Yeah. Um i I broke one of those rules because of uh the power of weight scenario of of the world here, but um you know i I got to come back to that one m I know you had a one thirty five but that is near the top of my list for you, man. Mm-hmm. honestly. I really think <laughs> that if you had a one m scott but, and here's why here's why the big thing that is a factor here in all of these is he doesn't want the car to depreciate much while he owns it right. Right. The 135s are dropping through the floor. If you bought that M4 you just recommended, first off that's a mallet of power. It's just an unbelievable powerhouse car. I think it feels big. Yes, they're very fast and fun to drive. I think it feels big. But that's as you said that's where we're going to disagree. Uh, but that M4 is going to keep dropping and might drop fast enough to whistle. I mean, it's, it's dropping. <laughs> the 1M, if you buy a 1M now and you sell it in a year or two, it will have dropped well within your tolerance for depreciation. True. It's, True. It's, they're just hanging on. And they have more personality, I think, than the 135, which I like the 135. But the 1M has something else extra special about it. It just does. I think that is a real consideration car for you. I have three others, though. Oh, Okay. And one, the first one I want to mention is the only like fully new car on my list. And I'm worried about the depreciation factor. Okay. But you're wanting something with some personality. And I thought of it as something totally different Alpha Julia Quadrifolio. Now, I think I've blown the budget. I think you have two.
1: I think you've blown it by twenty grand, to be
0: honest. Yeah. But but I I just that Julia intrigues the heck out of me. I wonder how much Julia do you get for that money? Probably not enough. You might wind up in one that's less that's less powerful and all that, which might not make it work. So that's fine. But then I did think, you know what, for this money, we're talking about cars you won't have depreciate much. They need to be unique, fun. You could look at the Alpha Four C as well.
1: Oh, Good. Those cars good.
0: aren't depreciating nearly as fast as I thought they would, honestly. I thought they were going to drop like stones. They aren't doing that. They really are doing actually okay on depreciation. And they're interesting cars. They don't sell very well, but they're interesting cars, and, and there are used special. options available.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Huh. That's a good one. I didn't think of the 4C, and that's, that's right in line with the budget, and it's very unique. It is you do not see them coming and going. You just don't. And that's, that's a miniature Ferrari. It really is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm. It's a very unique one. I mean, I think huh. in the same
0: category, I have to say Lotus Evora. I think the Lotus Evora is going to keep dropping depreciation-wise. I don't know if it gets it done there. But there's personality in that car as well. I think 4C and Evora have got to be looked at. If you want to do Lotus and save your depreciation, of course you go Elise. You'll buy it for 35 grand. Right. you will sell it for 35 grand. Right. But I don't know that that's... An all-around nice enough car for what you want based on the things you're looking at. I think you want to – I mean, when you're talking about you don't like the interior on the Mustang, you're not going to like the Lotus. But um, well, yeah. but it's a great car for personality, and it isn't going to depreciate really at all. Um, but that's why I wound up at either 4C or Evora. I think those might be better options because they're a little more in the, the Porsche category. Here's a place – honestly, this doesn't happen on the podcast. Are you listening? This is a place where Porsche doesn't do well.
1: In because terms of what, for depreciation? Because,
0: <laughs> Paul comes up I, with, I, now curious. why isn't it doing well? The, no, the, the hair because, on
1: the back of my neck stood up. You can't see it here, but uh, i I know, I know.
0: Because he's wanting something, I feel like, he's wanting something that just has a ton of personality. It's almost personality first, and then secondly, he wants low depreciation.
1: Right, Porsche, I see that I've, too. You and
0: I have talked about this. Your, your GTS is is so refined that you've got to get incredibly fast before it starts and don't get me wrong incredible car but you've got to get really crazy fast before you start to see the little I hate to say it the lack of refinement that also equals character Yeah. yeah you know a lot of cars, the, there is I, that. I'll go back to the Elise. I'll go back to the Elise. The Elise is the opposite of refined, but it is full of character. I think that's the problem with this equation. It's hard to have a car that is very refined and wonderful to be in and still has character because often that refinement kind of breeds it out of it.
1: So I would agree about the 4C. It is feels fairly unrefined to me, but it's the interior is not going to do it. I don't think it's going to do it for Scott. Because it's, it's a, you know, like a stutter step behind an Elise in terms of, you know, just a Spartan kind of a bare interior. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not, not that raw.
0: You're right. It's not it's not as raw as the Elise, but it's in that category. You're right. It's almost dead center between the Cayman and the Elise as far as what's the quality of this interior feeling but the, like. The refined one I Porsche is
1: exceedingly high. You're right. It's not a low speed. Mm-hmm. Wow, this is just mm-hmm. a fun little dancing car. No, you've got to be 120. Wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: So I agree. Those are my list. So, so the one M, the four C, and the Avora, and then how much Julia could you get for your money? Those are the personality and hopefully depreciation Mm. defended cars. I think the Julia, pardon me, I think the Julia probably is going to drop. I think the four C is gonna. I don't know how it's gonna do, but the one M, your money's it's almost just straight across money. Buy a one M, sell a one M, probably gonna get about the same out of it. Yeah,
1: put miles on it as much as you want, and sell it for the same price. Yeah. Interesting. All right, well, let's jump into some questions here. Gobs of questions here on Facebook yeah, that yeah. I'm looking at, and uh, oh my gosh! <laughs> okay, Miguel Tsukiyama says, "Paul, what's a good watch to match my M2?" <laughs> I, I
0: knew you'd go for that one. I that's knew like, you would. That's just like
1: Ugh. right, just laser beam right on right yep. to my heart here. Okay, that so... is
0: low-hanging fruit for you, for sure.
1: Uh-huh. I don't look at the M2 as sort of a baller car. It's not a flashy kind of thing. If you're looking at this car and you're not into cars, you're going to think, huh, that's a cute little coupe. All right.
0: You drive a BMW. You okay, drive a BMW. Fine. All
1: right, is that a 3 Series? Or what, what exactly is that? Enthusiasts are going to be riveted to this car, but mm-hmm. it's not a flashy, blingy kind of a thing. And so I think, all right, I, I'm... It's also not the most expensive comparatively to true, the kind true, of performance yeah, yeah. and fun that it delivers compared to mm-hmm. other cars. So it's in the category like the GT three fifty. The performance is surprising, but it's not a that's not a cruiser mobile. You you're out there in the Canyon Road all by yourself, just giggling your sure, head off. Sure. Yeah. So I think all right, some flashy kind of watch just won't do. And so I come to the Finnish company called Sunto you ever heard of Sunto, S-U-U-N-T-O. They make a variety of watches that aren't too (laughs) expensive. They're in the $600 to $1,000 range, somewhere in there. But they do a lot of different things. I think they have cool personality. I'm fascinated by this tech company that isn't Japanese, and they're fully into really high tech, but really good looking. And if you know what they are, you're you're really intrigued by this watch. If you don't, it just looks like a watch. Same thing with the M2. So, so Sunto is, is my choice.
0: Is what's happening here is you're kind of being, I don't know, There maybe there's a term for this, but you're kind of being the sommelier for watches. Instead of pairing wine with your meal, you're pairing watches with their car.
1: Can I get paid to do that? Who, who would pay me to do that? Can I get paid to be the, the watch sommelier? I would uh. happily... Where do I sign up? What class do I take? What where do I go? I'm I would Pe- people, love that. Have, people have asked
0: now and then, do Paul and I ever do completely divergent <laughs> things? If that was your job, I would not see you much. I would I would rarely see my friend Paul. What's he doing? <laughs> I don't know. Something about watches and cars. I don't know. Totally. And I would be sitting in my car going, see that on the dash there? That's a clock. I now know what time it is. Let's go
1: for a drive. Pull out your yeah, phone that, and be that, like that's, uh, Push the button. Mm-hmm. There it is. There's this the is, time.
0: This is the watch that's paired with my car. Oh, look. It has a clock. Let's go. OK. Yeah. Hmm? That's, <laughs> I love that he asked you, and you are the right person to ask, but I'm just I'm laughing at the small of watches. Um, <laughs> well, OK. So jumping off of that, Paul Sutton wrote in, and he said, when we go for a fun drive, do we prefer going alone or going with others? And what he means is not taking a passenger. He's saying going with buddies that are also in a car. That's question one. And then his second part of the question is, do the two of us, Paul and I, do we ever go out for drives for fun when we're not filming, which is a great one. Hmm. Uh, To speak to the first question, honestly, Paul, I go back and forth on this. I I don't mind going with groups. I don't mind going. The problem actually is groups. You start to get a lot of cars. I think you create a lot of scenario for the unknown because you get six or eight guys, 10 guys traveling together in a pack down a back road there starts to be a little bit of uh, ego and one-upsmanship that happens and that I always feel like in those moments is the step before disaster. And I, Please don't get me wrong. I'm not saying I'm immune. I am guilty. Okay, That's the problem with groups like that. I feel like mm-hmm. it, it starts to lead up to somebody in the group or maybe somebody's in the group might start driving beyond their ability because they're trying to show off, keep up, you name it. So groups make me a little bit, uh, a little bit trepidatious, but I still do those a few times a year, and they can be very fun. I love going with, like, one other person. And Paul and I have gone on drives, just the two of us. Yeah. And a lot of the time we get great drives in is because the shoot's over. We're back in the middle of nowhere somewhere, and the shoot is done, and the cameras are packed up. And we go, we've just got road now. It's yeah. just drive <laughs> totally. home. Yep. Those are amazing drives every time because the the, the task is done but I also do find driving very, I know this sounds odd, but some of you will relate. I find it very just mentally cleansing. Yeah. And so oh, yeah. I, I enjoy going driving by myself. If I've got just a couple of hours to just go for a drive and just drive and just do it, it's just me. I've, I cherish those times. I really do. I love it. I love it. Mm. So um, I, I would almost say my answer is all of the above, but I hope you understand my reasons.
1: No, I'm I'm with you on the groups. Yes, cool and fun, but because of the varied skill and comfort level and the thing that people you know in groups they might not be out to drive hardcore fast and fun. They're just out to cruise and enjoy, and, mm-hmm. and so everybody has a different thing they're coming into the into the time with into the group with. It can be fun, but yeah, I'm kind of with you. If it's just when it's just you and I we know that it's on it's always on and uh (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's uh that's what makes it so much fun um (laughs) but uh yeah yeah interesting um i we we don't do that nearly enough we do kind of wait till the shoots happen but you and i just Mm -hmm, don't do that nearly mm -hmm. enough because when we take cars out we think well if we're taking cars out why aren't we taking cameras so Yes. You know, we
0: always think that the two should be connected because it's it's content. Yeah, I, t- I totally get that. Yeah, it's absolutely it's, our headspace. Let's mm-hmm.
1: go get something. Let's put some, you know, put some time down on the camera, you know. So Yep, complete. Uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, what else here? <laughs> Gosh, I'm scrolling. Guys, I'm scrolling.
0: Yeah, there's tons of them. There's there's tons of great questions. Uh, Ted Adam Green had another good one. He said, uh, "What is the crappiest car that you loved and what's the nicest car that you hated?" And I have to say, I think I've shared this before on the, on the podcast, my very first car, like the car that I actually got when I was 16, because I've talked before yeah. about, I've talked before right. about uh, uh, the Caprice Classics, the line of Caprice Classics that were hand-me-downs in my family. I've talked about, about that before. That was really, for any kind of perceivable time, my first car. The car I learned to drive in was a Caprice Classic. However, for less than six months, I had a 1982 Pontiac Firebird. That is, if you're having trouble visualizing it, that is the model <laughs> that was the same dis- same body style as the kit car from Knight Rider. I had a 1982. The problem is, 82 was the only year that body style came with a four-cylinder. This mighty four-cylinder <laughs> had 90 horsepower. Nine zero horsepower. I think your phone has 90 horsepower. It practically does the the FRS I drive now is a Veyron compared to this car. Okay, it had ninety horsepower. It had a four speed manual. Now I learned to drive stick, but it was it was terrible. And when I first got it, I was so excited I could not stand myself. I was convinced I was the coolest guy on the planet. I was convinced this car was awesome. It quickly convinced me otherwise, because. There were rare moments I loved driving it, but mostly it didn't run well. It broke down a lot. I learned how to change an alternator belt in under 10 minutes on that car, and I carried extra in my car because there was a 50-50 shot. While driving to school, I was going to throw an alternator belt, and I'd fix it in the parking lot and drive home. Oh,
1: my god! So this was that car. No way. So
0: very shortly thereafter, my dad, and, and he and I fought a lot at this time in my life, but very shortly thereafter, my dad was of the demeanor of, we need to sell this car. And it wasn't very long before I went, you know what, I see, I see the logic. We need to. And I'm really surprised we agreed on that. But that car was around for less than six months, loved it, and it was gone quick.
1: Hmm. That's, that's really interesting. It ties into another question from Eric Johnson about how do we each decide when it's time to sell a car well, mm, mm. you know, Michael can tell you when it's totaled, <clears throat> then it's time. <laughs> that that does it for you. There it is. <laughs> um, life events. Uh, I guess for me, it's been when I run up uh, for the 928, it was I ran out of money, and I just needed the money, and I needed to sell it. And there was just no point in putting more money into something, you know, if you can, keep it maintained. But, you know, the car needed engine sure. mounts and stuff like that, and I thought, I can't. Do this. I just need yeah, to yeah, get yeah. rid of it, you know, even though I want to keep it. Um, a friend offered to buy my Audi Avant wagon. He had been eyeballing mm-hmm. that for a long time and always mm-hmm. said, Hey, when you're done with it, sell it to me. And then his life circumstances changed. He had kid number three and he said, Paul, I'd like to buy your car. What do you think? And I wasn't planning yeah. on selling it. And I thought, Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Johnny, I, uh, okay. I, yeah, I guess you know what, everything's for sale. So mm-hmm. okay, mm-hmm. and sure. I sold it to him for ten grand. It was worth ten grand, and uh, he was very happy because he knew he got you know a car from me. And uh,
0: yes. very <laughs> certified Paul owned. Yeah, and that's one of my favorite stories. Actually, is you were at a car event, <laughs>
1: oh, and, and yeah. you should tell it. Oh, but yeah. you were
0: when you were leaving that car event. When the car was 10 years old, you were leaving a press event where you had to check out all the vehicles. Sorry, you, you should tell it.
1: No, well, it was uh, it was funny because, yeah, as Todd said, we had all the press cars around, brand new cars. And I like to keep my cars nice, nice as I can. It's a little bit more difficult in the salt and the uh, and the weather, but still, I, I still do okay. And uh, the car was just freshly waxed and polished and rolling out and the woman at the gate checking all the cars out she was looking it over and and said okay so what you know you're checking this one out and I said no this is this is my car I actually I own this and she didn't believe me at first I think you were with me and she just she just didn't believe me she's like what are you talking about I've had other friends walk up to my car and say Paul your car is too shiny what's up with that (laughs) Like well, I well, but I the, the thing own. about
0: this out the thing about this Audi moment was the fact that it didn't dawn on her at first that it was a ten year old car when this happened. She's <laughs> yeah. checking out all this yeah. brand new shiny metal. You roll through with a ten year old car, and she thinks it's something just out of the press fleet. Uh, I, that was, that was the ultimate moment. I was like, there you go, ladies and gentlemen, that is certified Paul own." So yeah, that guy got a great, great deal on that car, but you're right. The opportunity kind of presented itself to you. And that's that thing that you and I talk about where you don't have to hate a car to get rid of it.
1: Yeah. yeah. You know,
0: it, it, but, but back to Michael before, just because you loved a car and you lost it tragically, maybe you need to get another one. I mean, there, there, it's, it's really a very personal thing, but I don't feel like that the, the, the combination is always the same to answer this question. But I also think it's very easy to keep a car longer than you should have mm. because mm-hmm. you just, I have it and you know, it's been fine. But I, you know, once you start to get over it, if you can move on, move on.
1: Mm-hmm. But, yeah.
0: and, and I think you can still really like your car. And, and I'll be honest, I'm struggling with this a little bit right now with the FRS. I really like it. It's yeah, a car that I know, I know when I sell do. it, I will miss it. Yeah. But there's another part of me going, I should probably move on, which is weird to feel both at the same time, but that but that happens for sure.
1: Yeah. Thinking about the GTS, I'm thinking, would I ever sell that? But then, you know, if there is such a thing as having too many cars. Do I want to get to that place in my life? Yes, I do. There is. I do want to have too okay. many cars. <laughs> <laughs> I'd, I'd like to experience that, but I don't know. The
0: other side of that equation, it's hard to fathom. But I suppose it's true. That's, <laughs> I,
1: guess. Uh-huh. I guess mostly just uh, associated with associated with life events. You know, you know what? We really need sure. the money yeah. for yeah, yeah. some event in our lives. You know, we're paying for college for the kids, or we're moving, or we're you know some big massive event, and that prompts the sale of a car for for various reasons. Um, yeah, and yeah, I liken it more to that. I haven't quite yet done the I'm going to move on from the car because I just want to. I haven't quite done Mm. that yet. It's always been a life event associated with it.
0: Sure. Well, sure, sure. I mean, even the the Cayman, it involved you moving and you felt like it was better to sell it in California. I get it. But you were also at a place where you loved it, but you really kind of thought, okay, there's some other car in my future. GTS. But, uh, yeah.
1: Mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. And then of course there's Mark Brunner's question lotus for everyone shirts? No, that's low tie for everyone shirts. There you Mark. go. Yes. That's, or lotuses. Yes, is, is many lotuses. <laughs> anyway. I have
0: one more. I didn't know if you had any others though.
1: Gosh. Oh my gosh. So the time has flown. Uh so many. We're gonna have mm-hmm. to get to more of these uh maybe at a later date. Uh Bill Bays asked. Yeah, and you guys uh, are of
0: course free to post again. Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. Post again. Absolutely. Bill Bays asked me, does my cheap dealer know that I'm an auto journalist? No, I don't think they do, but it's not something I want to wave in their face. That's just not nice. And it's, Yeah, that's fair. I, I, I don't need to come in being demanding and acting like a petulant child. I just want good service, <laughs> and I'm not trying to wave it in their face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, on the other hand, the BMW dealer does know I'm, a, I'm an automotive journalist, and mm-hmm. uh, he mm-hmm. wants to watch Icon, so he's, uh, he's into it, so – yeah, we'll but, see.
0: But you're but you're bringing up a very good point there, and and this is this is splitting hairs a bit. But I, I kind of I'm impressed with how you've done this because there's been a few times where you could have waved the flag of I'm an auto journalist to get service with the Jeep, and you've refused to do that. And I applaud you for that. But the BMW thing, it was you kind of wanted this guy to understand as you started talking to him. You kind of wanted him to understand that you're a driver and you're looking for a driver's car. You're not just a random guy who wants a BMW. Yes, and so, the fact that
1: you and I have driven the car. We, and, uh-huh. and I didn't want him to, yes. you know, because most people will say, well, come in for a test drive. Have you driven it? I wanted him to yeah. know that, yeah, indeed, yeah. I know what I'm buying I know what I'm interested in. We've driven the car. We've lived with it for a week. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. and and I feel like that was more important for him to know. So, it just, it sets you instantly on a different relationship with the dealer rather than, so. Certainly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. T- mm-hmm. You know, let me tell you about the M2. You know what? I know about it. I yeah. love it. I let know about it. Let me save you the step. <laughs> exactly. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, help, help me get my car. That's what I'm looking for. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Well, I wanted to cover one other one. You had mentioned uh, you were making Lotus jokes a minute ago. But David Watson wrote in <laughs> and said he's asking about Lotus. He's asking about Lotus strategies. He's essentially saying, look, here's a company that makes some of the best driver-focused cars. We all talk about that. Yeah. But yet they struggle, and they struggle almost all the time. And their cars, the Evora, the Elise, I mean, those platforms are old now and are still being revised because Lotus is a, is a company that is kind of always on the verge of financial collapse. I hate to say it, but it's true. So he's saying, what do they need? And he's even bringing up back when that guy Danny from Red Bull was running them, and they did the uh, the five huge oh, uh, concepts, and they were yeah. going to break out with five cars at once. And, oh, my gosh. Rather and ambitious. Mostly, <laughs> yeah, it was mostly smoke and mirrors when it turned out. But he's asking, what does Lotus need? To, be, to, to step above this problem. And he asks sarcastically, but I think, David, I think you're kind of right, do they need to make a CUV? They kind of do. I, and I say that as the Lotus guy. The problem with Lotus is the same problem of TVR and a lot of the brands that I like. And it was the problem of Porsche before the Cayenne. When you're making only sports cars, you're making a niche product. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. very hard to make a good margin on your niche product, and it keeps the brand small. Once Porsche, for all of the hate they got for branching out and making an SUV, that essentially saved the company and continues to fund the company to make the cars. We all go, did you hear about the 911R? 911R is a progression of the fact that Porsche prints cash making SUVs. So yeah. even though I'm yep. not going to say, Lotus, please make an SUV, even though they are, have, there's been rumors they're talking about it. Of course, everybody's talking about it. Lamborghini's coming out with one. But the thing <laughs> right. is, I That's do right. think I do think that Lotus should branch out into other market segments in an effort to make money to support them in general for sports cars. I mean, they're known; they have guys that just consult in general for other companies for handling. This is what they're known for. Yeah. So okay, let's make that. Let's have that company sell something else they can make a profit on. And I'll even come back to Alpha. We like the four C. Not our favorite ever, but we really like the four C. Last year, Alpha sold. Hundreds, I'm not kidding, hundreds of Alpha 4Cs. Wow. Didn't even get to a comma in that number. They need the Julia, okay? The only way to ever have another 4C is if the Julia does well or the Stelvio does well. Those kind of brands need that kind of car for volume. Mm-hmm. And this is why we talked about it last time. Toyota partnered with Subaru to make the FRS. They didn't need to, but they did because niche cars don't make the money. So Lotus has got to get out of just niche sports cars into something
1: else. I think you're right. And Porsche is a great example because the 911 does not make the money. It's the Cayennes and the Panameras that lead the segment. Now probably the Macan. It's the Macan all about for that. sure, yeah. And mm-hmm. they, they were pretty pretty dire straits at one point. Uh, I think it was early 90s, I believe when uh the i think it was the 993 to the 964 those generations they shared parts and they were trying to mm-hmm. save money and all that stuff so yeah yeah um yeah that that was uh yeah that was dicey for Porsche and they they branched out and mm-hmm. Lotus has a problem because they position themselves as an engineering consulting firm. If you remember way back, again, in the early 90s, the Isuzu Impulse handling by yeah. Lotus. Yep, Yeah. Well, that means, mm-hmm. okay, well, you're just contracted to do the thing you're known for, and that's all your cars are really known for. The rest of the car is good, but it's not the refinement of, you know, name a bunch of other cars. And so when they sure, get to yeah, that place… Yeah then, okay, this new SUV, and yeah, it's still got the Lotus traits of fun to drive, extremely fun to drive, great handling. But, hey, Lotus is innovating in some other areas. And you know what? Mm-hmm. Maybe they do have an opportunity nowadays to enter the electric platform. Maybe they do. Mm,
0: it's interesting. I mean, it's interesting. the yeah. Tesla
1: Roadster was a, a tiny hint of that. They consulted yeah, Lotus and the partnered yeah. with him. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. what about electric platforms and electric sports cars and small SUVs that really now redefine Lotus as a brand? They're still very much enthusiast focused, but clearly Lotus doesn't care what kind of engine they throw in the car. It can be from Toyota <laughs> or whoever. <laughs> true. Yeah. We just need an engine yeah. to throw in our awesome car. Yeah. So why not electric?
0: Hmm. Mm, interesting okay i see how you got there i see how you got there just but i i also keep yeah that's that's good i also keep thinking about alpha and where alpha is in the market i mean alpha comes out with the julia yeah into one of the most hotly fought contested parts of the market the mid-size sedan that's trying to be a luxury sedan and a sports sedan Yeah. yeah everybody's trying to make that car and yet, Kia's <laughs> doing that car exactly. <laughs> the exactly right. Every everybody <laughs> tries to make that car, and everybody tries to compete with the BMW and the Mercedes to make a good version of that car. Yeah. That's who they're all fighting against. But yet, at the same time, Alpha. If you think about all the players in that market, we're talking Lexus, we're talking Infinity. Yes, you just brought up Kia, Audi. All of these folks are players. Jaguar, and yet somehow Alpha has created a car that look and feel. I'm not even talking driving it. I'm talking walk around it and sit in it. Look and feel they've created their own place in that oversaturated part of the market. Imagine Lotus doing that.
1: Mm -hmm. That would be cool. Hmm. Hmm. That would be cool. Imagine the Kia Stinger GT compared to the base Alpha Julia. What do you think for the comparison? Let's make a film. Let's do that one. I well, mean...
0: earlier, unbeknownst to you, you created the shirt of the night. I did. When you said, yes, when you were comparing uh Kia and Mazda, and I suddenly envisioned, <laughs> I suddenly no. envisioned a shirt with the Mazda logo on it and it says below that, not quite a Kia. <laughs> I'm going to create ridiculous shirts every every time we do a podcast. In fact, I have to say, we do have shirts available through our website. And I actually, this evening, got my Ask Me About Cheap Phaeton shirt. I got it in. I'm so excited to wear it. Can't believe you. Uh, I, I am that guy. You. So it's just very simple very simple letters on a black shirt. It's actually the first one of those shirts I've gotten in. So I got to see the quality of it. I actually am pretty pleased with it. So I'm very excited to wear it. So yes, we have the Cheap Phaeton shirt. Um... Maybe we're making Mazda and Lotus shirts. I've been I've been really I've been really looking at some of these. We may make some of these joke shirts because why not? So you can visit the store tab on Everyday Driver and uh, and we'd love to have you there. Thank you guys for listening, for rating, for reviewing, for sending us questions and car debates. This is why we do this. So thank you for doing that.
1: Yes, agreed. Thank you guys. Really appreciate it and until next time, everyone. Cheers.